The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. Today we're starting a new mini-series that I'm pretty excited about because basically the theme of this mini-series has to do with expensive words and using expensive words and making sure that you have follow-through even though that costs you, which is also expensive words. So this mini-series is called The Biggest Mistakes Storytellers Make. And today in part one, I want to talk about something that can literally kill any kind of story, uh, including film. And I've seen quite a few of these films recently, I feel like. And uh, I've definitely seen this in books. When there's lots of room to write words in books, you don't need to do this. So the part one, that this is such a big mistake, is ignoring the potential of small moments. And I want to talk about a personal heartbreak of mine as an example for you. And you're like, Kristen, you've already told us so many times when you've been disappointed, but this is a big one. And I haven't talked about it yet on the show because I kind of wanted to spend a whole, a whole episode on this. Uh, and so I was like, you know what, this is one of the biggest mistakes storytellers make. And I'm going to just rip this thing to shreds that I love because why not? And no, it's not Ready Player One, even though you know I love that. Uh, I'm talking about the Captain Marvel film. And <laughs> listen, you don't know this about me. Um, or maybe you do. I know I talked about it in one episode. But like, I literally cried for days after I saw uh, Avengers Endgame, like on and off for days. I am such a huge Marvel Universe fan. Uh, I was indoctrinated young through X-Men, the cartoon in the 90s on Fox, but also my brother collected X-Men cards, and it wasn't that cool for girls to do something like that. So uh, I would sneak into his room. I knew where he hid his binder, because that's what we kept cards in back then. We had, like, these binders with all these sheets in them. And I would read every single card, and he had hundreds of them. Uh, and he still has them somewhere, I think, and I kind of want to ask if I can have them. <laughs> Because he's like, they're not worth any money, but to me, they're worth more than money. Uh, because that was a huge part of my storytelling background. Because the stories of the mutants in X-Men are really complicated, and they have a lot of difficult issues, and they go through so much, and they're constantly faced with making decisions between right and wrong. And it's not, you know, it, I think it was my first exposure to the idea that the world is not as simple as it seems when you're a young, white, 
person growing up uh, in California where things just could never seem that bad. And I, you know, it's like the beginning of the loss of innocence, the recognition of, hey, the world is not so black and white, or it's not black and white at all, actually. Everything is in shades of gray. And so I, (laughs) all that to say, I'm very attached to these stories. I'm very attached to these characters. Uh, I I really love Iron Man. I love him so much. Um, But I want to tell you before I get to the sadness that is my Captain Marvel assessment, I want to talk about when I went to see Black Panther. And uh, I went to see it in Athens, Greece. And if you don't understand how undiverse Athens is, just go there and you'll see Greek people everywhere. And there are very few black people there. And if they are black, they're usually either American tourists or they're actually uh, African immigrants. And I got to know some of Uh, some of the people who had um, come over from Africa and they were amazing and I love them. But so I'm sitting in this almost empty movie theater with Travis, my husband, and there's one other couple in there with us. And uh, I remember it was freezing in the theater and I, I left my winter coat on and I had my scarf on because it was winter and it actually gets pretty cold in Athens. So you can imagine I'm in there, I can almost see my breath, and I'm about to see something that I've never seen before, and uh, it was very emotional for me. I remember thinking, I have never seen African culture represented in such a way, and uh, I was just like staring at the screen crying as the world of Wakanda comes to life, and... We see that not only is T'Challa, who I'm so sad about Chadwick Boseman, he was the real deal, okay? I I firmly believe that I will see him in heaven. Uh, But he's playing, you know, T'Challa, the king. And but we see all these strong female black characters around him. And I just thought this is the first time in my life I have ever seen this. And it brought me to tears. And it's it's making me misty right now. But this is coming from a white woman. Okay, (laughs) imagine. And I and I have talked to my black friends about this and and what an impact this whole world has had on their children seeing. Look, this is look, (laughs) black people can be heroes. They can be smart, like super smart, like genius level smart. They can be brave. They can sacrifice their lives to save the people that they care about. You know, all these different things, these amazing themes in this film that just reaches straight into your chest and grabs onto your heart. And you're like, yes, I am down for this ride. And not only because it has to do with inclusion. That's not why we love the story. That's that's a, a, a part of the experience of Black Panther. But we love the story because it's a good story. It's an amazing story. Every detail matters. Every single detail in that film matters. I dare you to watch it and find something that doesn't matter. And so I was really excited because I was like, yes, Captain Marvel. She's like, you know, she's what I kind of think of as representation in the superhero world. You know, of course, she's not plus size like I am. But I I was so excited. Uh, My teenage daughter and I 
well, she was she was like a preteen at the time when this came out. We read uh, the first two omnibus collections of Captain Marvel before we went to see the film together. And, you know, there's a if you don't know anything about Captain Marvel, uh, she's sexually assaulted. Uh, she's raped, basically, in one of the um, comic book issues. And this is like a huge uh, thing that people have to deal with in the Marvel world, and a lot of people have written about it. And, uh, sorry, Mooney is barking at somebody. I don't know who. Still barking. And so it was one of those things where I was so excited, and I was like, yes, finally we're going to have a female lead in one of these films for the first time. And I was, you know, I didn't think it would be as good as Black Panther, okay, if I'm being honest. And also, I got to see the costumes from Black Panther in person because they were here in Pittsburgh. I'm a little bit outside of Pittsburgh, but I I got to go see them uh, in person, and it was amazing. As someone who uh, (laughs) endeavors to construct garments and who's a cosplayer, it was so cool to see those uh, costumes in person because they look so different in person than they do on film. Um, But anyways, I digress. So we're in there. We're watching Captain Marvel. And I'm watching. And I'm like, this is my childhood. Because I grew up in L.A. in the 90s. And that is where the movie set. And I was like, okay, well, that building wasn't there in the 90s. Or that freeway wasn't there in the 90s, you know. So, of course, I know those things. Because I lived there. And they actually filmed on location for part of it. But as I'm watching, I'm not feeling anything. I don't feel anything for Captain Marvel, for her character, for her story, for the characters around her. And a lot of people blame how awful Captain Marvel is on Brie Larson. I don't... Listen, okay? I'm not saying I don't like Brie Larson as a person. I think she's very insecure, and she tries to overcompensate for that by seeming really tough. And she puts people off with that type of attitude. But I do think that she's a talented uh, actress. And if you don't believe me, go watch The Unicorn Store on Netflix because she is really great in that. And she is vulnerable in that. And I think that maybe they just didn't give her good instruction for playing Captain Marvel. I hope they'll resolve that issue in the next one, which I don't have high hopes for at all. But the storytelling in Captain Marvel and the writing is trash. I know that might seem a bit extreme, but you know what the mistake they made was? Almost no moment, almost none of the moments in that film matter. You don't care. And it's just like a sequence of events and you're going through the motions and you're like, yes, okay, uh, Florkins are cool because that's the best part of the movie. That's what everybody talks about, right, is the cat who's a really a Florkin. And we get to see some background stuff with Nick Fury. And Samuel L. Jackson is great in that movie, but even he cannot save it because there are just no small moments that mean anything. And it broke my heart. It still breaks my heart. I'm so disappointed. Like, if you see me out and about, you will notice that I have a Captain Marvel mask. That's what I wear everywhere. I have several of them that I've made for myself. And the thing is, Carol Danvers is a very interesting character. That's the, you know, person of Captain Marvel, right? That's her normal person, not superhero persona. And she has a really compelling story. And she 
you know, she has this thing where she is kind of indestructible. She doesn't know why. And I'm going based off of the comics now because the movie is trash, like I said. And she doesn't understand where she comes from. She's trying to reconcile the two personalities that are converging, which I thought was actually a really great and accurate depiction of dissociative identity disorder. And that was the first time I've ever seen it in a comic so well done, uh, which is a real thing that real people have. And I thought maybe they would lean more into the mental health aspect of it, which would have been cool. I'm not saying they have to do that. Listen, I like the cool CGI stuff, all right? I I don't understand why none of the Cree people are blue in the film, but okay, they didn't want to make everybody wear blue body paint, but... The stories don't make sense together, and there's no compelling reason. Like, they did this tiny little montage of her dad not understanding her or letting her do things as a girl, and they expected that five minutes of semi-emotion to carry the entire plot. That is not good storytelling. It doesn't work. And if you go watch this movie, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. You don't feel anything. You're like, okay, I like Nick Fury. Of course, of course, he's Nick Fury. All right, I like the Flurkin. Why do I care about Carol Danvers? Why do I care about her? And um, it was just heartbreaking for me. And there are no small moments that lead up to anything. And there's no real vulnerability uh, on Brie Larson's part playing Carol Danvers, who the comic book character went through so many things, and it could have meant so much, just like, you know, not as much as Black Panther, Uh, In my opinion, that is basically the best film out of all of the Marvel Universe films because of everything they did and because of the impeccable storytelling, the amazing costumes, uh, the inclusion, that's part of it. But it was just something I'd never seen before. And I was hoping that Captain Marvel, and and they were marketing it like crazy as the feminist Avenger movie. And it just wasn't. It just wasn't. Because that wasn't even a big part of the story. You cannot count on gimmicky advertising or gimmicky montages to tell your story. You have to build the soul of what you want the reader or the viewer to experience into the little moments throughout the entire story. And that is exactly what Black Panther did. And that is exactly where Captain Marvel fell flat. Because they didn't do it. And do you know why they probably didn't do it? Because it's hard. It's hard. It wreaks havoc on the writer. It wreaks havoc on the actors. They have to work so much harder to get that emotion out where everyone can see it. Because it makes them so vulnerable. And writing works like that is so hard. Because you have to reach down into the deepest parts of who you are and the things that make you human and you have to get those on the page and it's exhausting it takes all your emotional power it takes every creative credit that you've woken up with every day when you're working on projects like that But do you know what happens when you tell stories that have caused you to spend yourself so fully? They resonate with 
the world. They resonate with your target audience and beyond. And they create that feeling that will last forever. And a lot of writers say, I want to write for immortality. Well, if you're not prepared to spend yourself on the page, you will never achieve that. And you might not still ever achieve that. But if your goal is to change the world one story, one reader at a time, and you spend yourself that way, I guarantee you will achieve your goal. But you have to be willing to put it all out there. The embarrassing moments, the painful moments, the moments when you don't know how you could feel one tiny drop more of joy. And that's, to me, that's what Black Panther felt like. It had the joy, the sorrow. It had all the expensive words. And Captain Marvel felt like it had no expensive words. It didn't have any expensive words. And that is the number one biggest mistake storytellers can make. Because you know what? The reader and the viewer know when you're phoning it in. They know when you're faking it. And you know what they feel when they realize that you're faking it? They feel betrayal. You've stolen their time. You've stolen their money. And they're not going to trust you again. Just like I don't trust that the next Captain Marvel movie will be any good. I want you to use your expensive words because I know that those are the most valuable resource that you have. Those words are the biggest gift you can give to the reader or the viewer. So if you're going to tell a story, use the expensive words. Spend yourself. Make the story worth that person's Money, and more importantly, make it worth their time because we can never get time back. Once it's gone, it's gone. And this is, this is why, you know, I haven't gone back to the Plunge Into Darkness series yet because I know I'm not there to where I can spend those expensive words again. So much has happened since then, and just... Being okay takes so much of my effort, but I know that soon, I feel like it's going to be soon, I will be able to finish this series that has caused me to spend myself in a way I've never spent myself before. I am exhausted. I get exhausted when I write these books, and that's how I know that they're going to touch other people's lives, and also that it's going to touch my own life as I'm working on it and healing happens. So that's it for today. The next thing that we're going to talk about in the biggest mistakes storytellers make is uh, in part two, we're going to talk about how writers neglect to finish out every element all the way through. And that might sound like it's not a big deal, but I guarantee you it is, and I'm going to prove it to you. So until then. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram 
at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing.